0: Hey, First Church, so glad you guys are here. At every weekend we have family who meet on the other side of the camera out at Stone Canyon as well as others who join us online. So if you would, let's take a moment, put our hands together, welcome them into our time of study here today. Well, I mentioned, I think, a couple months ago that my family in February had the chance to go to Huntington Beach, California. I attended a conference out there, and so uh, Allison and the kids got to go with me, and I always love it anytime my family gets to tag along. Always have a fun time. And if you know anything about the Huntington Beach area, you know that it's only like 30, 40 minutes away from Disneyland, so we stayed a couple extra days after the conference, and we went to Disneyland, did the whole Disney thing, and it was a ton of fun. But one thing we did not expect... Uh, how cold it was going to be. You know, when you think of uh, Southern California, you think of beaches and warm weather, but it was February and it was cold. In fact, here's a picture of us with Mickey and Minnie, and we're wearing hoodies, if you can't tell, because it was. It was cold, and we should have brought heavier jackets than what we actually brought with us. But we still had a fun time, still had a blast, wouldn't trade it for anything. Uh, And by the end of the day, our kids were absolutely worn out, which was actually a good thing. You know, you go from one ride to the next, one character to, to the next, one parade to the next one show to the next and it's just kind of a chaotic hectic day it's fun but by the end of the day everybody's worn out especially our kids and this is what we would find uh, that would happen when we get back to our hotel room every night take a look at this picture that's what we saw every night when we get back to the hotel. That's uh, Alex on the left and Addie on the right, and they're just zonked. They're just out. And that's okay because one of our two children does not like to sleep. He gets up multiple times. I just told you which one. He, he gets up multiple times in the middle of the night and wants to wake us up, and he slept the entire night every day when we'd come back or every evening when we come back from Disney. And that was great for us. That means that we got to sleep as well. But the great thing about staying in a decent hotel is that when you get back to the hotel at the end of the day, after a chaotic, hectic, busy day, everything is put in order for you. Everything is nice and clean. Everything's picked up for you. If you stay in a decent hotel, the beds are gonna be made, the towels off the bathroom floor are gonna be picked up, the trash is gonna be taken out. And I say if you stay in a decent hotel, because I've also seen those documentaries of some hotels where these like black lights and stuff. I don't even wanna think about that. That scares me to death. But in a decent hotel, everything is nice and clean and orderly and, and so forth. And that's why a lot of people, when they stay in a hotel, you know, they don't worry about leaving out trash. They don't worry about picking up towels off the floor or making their bed because they know someone is going to come along after them and they're going to do all that for them. My mom, however, growing up, she had a different philosophy when it came to hotels. When we would go on vacation or stay in a hotel, she would clean our room before we would leave. I kid you not. She would make the bed before we would leave. She would pick not just pick up the trash, she would take out the trash, sometimes to the dumpster outside, sometimes just a trash can in the hallway, but still she would take it out. She would pick up the towels off the floor. She would straighten everything up. Sometimes the hotel room looked better after she finished cleaning it than when we first checked into the hotel. And that was my mom. And I remember as a kid asking her, mom, why do you do that? You know, the hotel staff is going to come along and clean this stuff up. Why do you do that? And I learned over time, my mom lived by a philosophy which she tried to teach me as well, and it's this, leave it better than you found it. Always leave it better than you found it. And this wasn't just something she said. This was something she did. She practiced throughout her life. Whether it was going over to a neighbor's house and inviting us over to eat and offering to do the dishes when we were finished eating. Or maybe it's having my brother and me pick up our toys when we were done playing. Or maybe it was after church. She would walk down the aisle and go through the pews and pick up bulletins. Nobody asked her to do that. She just did it. People leave bulletins or communion cups, whatever. She'd go along and pick that stuff up. My mom lived by the philosophy, the motto, Always leave it better than you found it. I remember one time in the fifth grade, my class went to a trip, went on a trip to space camp in Huntsville, Alabama, and my parents were chaperones, and they were in charge of a certain number of boys in the hotel, but there were other chaperones over other boys, and this one group of boys in their hotel room, they just left it a mess. I mean, they didn't tear up anything or damage anything, but still, it was just a wreck, and my mom heard about it and went in there, and she straightened up their room for them, and some of the other sponsors looked at my mom and was like, why would you do that? I mean, the hotel staff will come along and clean it and my mom said you always leave it better than you find it better than you found it and you know i think as christians as followers of jesus that should be our model as well honestly i believe that should be the philosophy the model of every single church we should be a people who leave this earth better than we found it because we follow a leader who lived by that very rule I mean, when you study the life of Jesus, what you find out about him is that Jesus isn't greedy. Jesus is generous. And what I mean by that, Jesus wasn't a taker. He was a giver. He didn't come to take. He came to give. He gave everything he had to everyone he met. And by doing that, he changed the world. In Matthew 10, verse 28, Jesus says about himself, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Paul, in writing to Christians, talks about Jesus in Ephesians 5, two, And listen to what he says. He says, lead a life of love just as Christ did. He loved us. He what? Gave himself up for us. Jesus is a giver, not a taker. He gave everything he had to rescue a world in need. And in so doing, Jesus left the world in better shape than he found it. And as his followers, we need to be willing to do the same. We need to make such an impact in the people's lives around us, in our communities, that we leave them in better shape than we found them. But I'll be the first to admit, that's a lot easier said than done. Because even though I preach and teach about loving like Jesus, and that's what I want to do every single day, I know personally how easy it is to get distracted. I know how easy it is to be selfish and to forget the purpose for which I'm here. You guys know I'm a transparent guy. I don't stand up here and try to act like I have my life all together and I'm perfect because I'm not. And I have moments when I should love like Jesus and I don't. I had one of those moments this week and I reacted to a certain situation and as soon as I reacted to that situation, I caught myself and I thought, am I unleashing Jesus' love in this moment or or am I just being selfish? And I was definitely being selfish. We all have those moments and we need to remember in those moments why we're here. We are here to unleash a revolution of God's love on the people around us. And one way that we do that is by being generous with what we have, being generous to other people as God has been generous with us. That's what Jesus expects of us. In fact, in Acts 20, verse 35, Jesus says, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Jesus expects his followers to be generous, and in so doing, we leave the world better off than we found it. And we believe that's the that's why our church exists. That's the philosophy. That's the model of First Church. And that's why a few weeks ago when we began this series, Fool's Gold, I talked about how we're not a church that's all about money, but we're a church that's all about ministry. And we believe in giving ourselves away. And over the past year, we have given away over a quarter of a million dollars to different people compassion, mission, and charitable groups and causes because we believe we are here to make the world a better place by unleashing a revolution of God's love. That's why so many of us this past Christmas changed our typical Christmas Eve plans and we came together and we packed meals rather than having a typical traditional Christmas Eve service and we took those meals out to those in need because we believe that we are here to leave the world better than we found it by unleashing a revolution of Jesus' love. That's why we started, we launched several years ago, a Love 918 ministry, because we want to go on the offensive and taking on the darkness that reigns in this world, and we want to help the hurting and the lost throughout northeast Oklahoma. That's why a few weeks ago we took up a dollar drive and we'd raised over $7,000 to help flood and storm victims throughout the Owasso area. That's why we have life groups who take food to shut-ins and build houses and serve in our food pantry and visit prisons and sponsor classrooms because we believe that we are here to leave the world a better place. And we want to leave the world better than we found it by unleashing the love of Jesus on it. That's our mission. That's our calling. That's why we're here. And we believe that our greatest joy is found when we give ourselves away, just like Jesus did. In fact, the Bible teaches us just that. Proverbs 11, verse 25, a generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. And that's why you've probably heard me say before that the church is at its very best when we practice generosity. Because the Bible teaches generosity moves the mission of Jesus forward. And Jesus knew this would be the case. That's why over and over again during his teaching ministry, his earthly ministry, he cautioned us, make sure you don't miss opportunities to invest what God has given you in things that matter. Make sure you don't miss opportunities to be generous with others as God has been generous with you. And one of those teaching moments is found in Matthew chapter 25, and that's what we're going to study today. So if you have your Bibles or Bible app on your phone or tablet, go and look up with me Matthew chapter 25. If you have our First Church app, you can look up the sermon notes, and all the scripture will be included in those notes. And if you don't have any of those things, the scripture will be on the screen, so you can follow along there. But Matthew chapter 25 is where we're going to be today. And Matthew 25 is part of a larger teaching section. You see, the Gospel of Matthew contains five major teaching moments of Jesus, five sermons of Jesus. And then there's narrative in between those five teaching moments. And we're going to look at. The part of the last sermon that Jesus gives in the Gospel of Matthew, the first one being the Sermon on the Mount. You've probably heard of it before, but we're going to look at this last teaching moment that Jesus gives right before he goes to the cross, and it's interesting to me, right before Jesus goes to the cross, he wants his followers to know, to remember, to be generous, to invest what God has given them so that God's kingdom can move forward. And so Matthew chapter 25, verse 14 is where we're going to begin. And Jesus says that basically this parable that I'm getting ready to tell, this story that I'm going to tell, illustrates what he expects, what life is going to be like after his resurrection when he reigns as king over all. So verse 14 says, again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. So Jesus says there's this man, he's a wealthy man, he owns an estate, he runs his estate and makes money off it, and he decides to go on a journey. So we're going to pause right here before we go any further because I want to let you know this was a pretty typical thing that happened in the first century world. When you did have one of these wealthy landowners, they would have to travel on occasion to make business transactions and deals. Sometimes they would go check on other property, other land they would have in a different town or city or whatever, and so they would go on these long journeys and be gone for weeks at a time, sometimes a month, sometimes over a year, they would be gone. And while they were gone, this is what had to happen. The estate needed to continue to make money. You business people in the room know you can't live off of yesterday's profits forever. Eventually, your company, your business, your organization is going to be unhealthy if you just continue to live off the profits of yesterday. You need to continue to make a profit. You need to continue to make money. And so this wealthy man knows that his money, his wealth has to continue to make money while he's gone in order for the estate to be successful. And so what he does is he calls three of his servants and he gives them some of his wealth and he says, listen, I want you to invest this wealth of mine as I would invest it. While I'm gone, I want you to invest this sum of money that I'm giving you as I would invest it so that the estate can continue to make money. Now, here's the thing. These three servants that he chose, they were were servants that he trusted. They were servants that he respected, that he knew would do a good job and had the ability to do a good job. And these three servants, they had no idea when their master was going to come back because in a day before cell phones and social media and instant communication, I know it's hard to imagine that, but in a day before you had all that stuff, you had no idea when your master was going to return so he could return at any moment and on the day that he showed up, he expected for you to present him with a profit. He wanted you to have used the wealth that he entrusted you with and to have a return on that, that investment. And if, you, if he came back at any time, you should have been working hard, uh, working hard for him. He should have caught you working hard for him. It's kind of like my dad uh, when I was young. He was the supervisor of multiple different convenience stores throughout several different counties in the central part of Ken- Kentucky and uh, he oversaw, supervised these stores and so he would go in and check on them at different times and I remember one time we, he wasn't working, it was like a Saturday or something and we were just going on a trip as a family and we stopped in one of his stores that he supervised in order to get a snack or something and we walked in and immediately my dad noticed that his employees were not doing what they were supposed to be doing. They were goofing off and they were in some trouble basically with my dad and as soon as he walked in he saw them goofing off. the manager on duty at the time of that store walked up to my dad he said we had no idea that you were going to stop by today and my dad looked at him in a very professional way said you need to be working the same as if I'm going to stop by or not we have certain expectations for this company you know what those expectations are and whether you know someone's going to stop by and check on you or not you need to be meeting those expectations And that's what this master in our parable expects as well. He left his employees, he left his servants with some instructions, and he could show up at any time, show back up at any time, and he expected to see them doing what he wanted them to do. And so he gives three servants three different amounts of money. And let's read and see what happens in Matthew chapter 25, starting at verse 15. Jesus says, To one, to one servant, the master gave five bags of gold. To another, two bags of gold, and to another, one bag, each according to his ability. Then the master went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole, in the ground and hid his master's money. Now I want you to know that the amount of money that this master gave these three different sources was a lot of money. In fact, in the original Greek, it doesn't say "bag of gold" or "bags of gold." We actually get a measurement, so we know about how much the amount of money, the amount of wealth that the master gave to the servants, how much it was equivalent or it is equivalent to today. One bag of gold, as the NIV translates it, is equivalent to about five hundred thousand dollars, about a half a million dollars. So he entrusted these servants with a lot of money, and they were supposed to put it. To work. Now, some people get caught up or they get hung up, I guess, on the fact that the master gave different amounts of money to different servants. And people say, well, that's not fair. He wasn't equal to them. And in our modern Western American mindset, that's how we think. But that's not the point of this story. In fact, Jesus even says he gave to each servant according to the servant's ability, meaning he knew what they could handle. And he didn't want to give one of these servants more than they could handle. He was actually looking out for them. And so the point of this parable is not how much you have, but what you do with what you have. The point of the parable is not how much you have, big or small. It's what you do with what God has given you. And Jesus tells us exactly what these servants do with what their master gave them. The first two servants, they take their gold, they invest it, and they make more for their master but the last servant, he does nothing with it. He buries his gold in the ground. And so pick up with me, if you would, verse 19. It says, After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. So, the master's gone for a long period of time. And these servants may have been wondering, is he ever going to come back in a day and age when travel wasn't good and people died at young ages because of poor health and whatever else? I mean, maybe something happened to him. So, as a long period of time, maybe the servants started to wonder if he was ever coming back. But here's the thing he did come back. And there's some application here for us because Jesus has promised he is coming back. He's coming back for his church, and he will keep that promise. He will return. It may have seemed like a long time, but he will come back. And when he does, he's going to expect us to be doing what he entrusted us to do. And even if he doesn't come back in our lifetime, we will all stand before him one day and have to give an account. And so let me ask you if you were in the shoes of one of these servants and you got word that the master's back, how would you have felt? Would you be excited or nervous? That the master is back. Well it all depends on if you're ready for him to be back. It all depends on if you've been doing what he asked you to do. And so let's read and see if these servants were excited or not. Matthew 25 verse 20, Jesus continues in the parable and he says, the man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Let's hit pause again. The first two servants, they're excited for their master to come back because they have done exactly what he asked them to do. And so they're excited to come and show how they have invested what the master gave them. And the master says, you get to come and share my happiness. Now, I want you to pay careful attention to this. Yes, the master gave these servants different amounts to begin with, but their commendation is the same. Their honor is the same. He says the exact same thing to both of them. Come and share in your master's happiness. In other words, the master says, because you've been faithful with what I gave you, you get to come and enjoy life with me. My life is going to be your life. My happiness will be your happiness. My wealth, my prosperity, my success, my joy will also be yours. And I'm sure that was exciting news for these two servants. They were thrilled to hear that, that they now get to share in their master's happiness. But remember, there's one more servant. He's not near as excited for the master to be back. Verse 24, Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. Now I want you to pay careful attention to the words of this third servant. Before the master says anything, Before the the master responds, before we find out that the master is upset with this servant, notice what the servant does. He starts to make excuses. Before he even says what he did, burying his gold in the ground, he makes excuses. "Uh, Master, I knew you were a hard man, and I knew you had high expectations, and I was afraid that I couldn't meet your expectations, and so that's why I did what I did, and I ended up burying your gold in the ground. In other words, hey, master, this is your fault. You just had too high of expectations. You're too hard of a man. I just can't work for somebody like you. This is really your fault. It's not my fault. That's why I did what I did. And of course, the master isn't buying that at all. But this servant, he knew that he had blown it. He knew before the master said anything that burying the gold in the ground was not going to be acceptable, that that wasn't what the master had commanded him, told him to do. But instead of taking responsibility for his actions... He makes excuses. And I wonder if that sometimes describes us. It has described me at times. There have been moments in my life when I knew exactly what God wanted me to do. But instead of doing it, I've just made excuses for why I haven't done what God wanted me to do. You ever done that? My son Alex, he is the king of excuses. Anytime he's in trouble, he always has a good excuse for it. One thing that happens a lot is he likes to stay outside after we've told him to come in. And so he loves to play outside in the backyard, and that's great. And we let him have that time, of course. We like the fact that he likes to be outside. We have a fenced-in backyard, and we have a neighbor that's right beside us who has little kids. And so Alex will sometimes play with them, or he'll talk with them through the fence. And uh, we can see him from our kitchen. You know, we have windows. We can see him outside. So we'll be fixing Supper in the evening. You guys call it dinner, I think, not supper. But anyway, uh, I'm from Kentucky. I call it supper. Anyway, we, uh, we will see him outside the window, and I'll go to the door, open up hall, be like, Alex, time to come in. And what is he doing? He's, uh, he's out there talking with the neighbor, and he'll say, okay, Daddy, I'll be in just a second. And then we shut the door, and a few minutes pass. he still hasn't come in. So I'll go back to the door, and I'll open up again. Alex, time to come in for supper. And he said, okay, Daddy, I'll be in just a second. And still, he doesn't come. So I, I'll go back a third time, open the door. Hey, Alex, get in here, or you're going to be in trouble. And then he hears the tone of my voice, and he starts to come in. And when he gets to the door, before I say a word, he always says the same thing. But Daddy, I mean, before I even come down on him, he has his excuse ready. But Daddy, they were talking to me. Or Daddy, they wouldn't let me go. Or Daddy, this was happening. or that. He always has an excuse for why he didn't come when I first called him to come in. The best one happened the other day. He said, but Daddy, I was trying to love like Jesus. And I thought, don't use my words against me. You know, don't, don't twist that. Because the Bible also says, honor your father and mother, son. So don't try to trick me. I don't, I'm not going to fall for that. But still, he always has an excuse. And don't we always have an excuse for why we're not doing what God wants us to do? See, instead of taking responsibility, we tend to either shift blame, complain about our circumstances, or feel sorry for ourselves. Can't you just hear this servant? Hey, not my fault. Your fault, master. You had too high of expectations for me. You know, not my fault. Or... It was the circumstances that I, I mean, I didn't get as much money as the rest of the guys did. I mean, if they lost some of they could still recover because they had extra money. I didn't have as much money as they had. Or maybe the guy started to feel sorry for himself. And did you not trust me as much as them? Do you not love me as much as them? Maybe I'm just not as skilled as they are. I'm not as talented as they are. Can't you just hear this guy making excuses? And we make excuse after excuse after excuse, knowing deep down. And all honestly, we're just not doing what we're supposed to be doing. And this guy in our parable. He knew what he was supposed to do. That's why in verse 26, his master replies to him, you wicked and lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. In other words, the master said, you knew that I had these expectations? You knew what you were supposed to do and you still didn't do it? You knew what type of... Manager, I was, what type of master I am, you knew, and you still didn't do it. And in, re- in response to the servant's to the servant's words, the master says to him, You are a wicked and lazy servant. Now that word wicked, it's kind of a strong word, is it? Kind of harsh. I remember the first time I studied this passage for real. I remember looking at that language and thinking, I mean, that's a little harsh. Uh, This guy, he didn't lose the money, right? I mean, he didn't gamble it away or anything. It's not like, you know, he lost the money. He just buried it in the ground and gave the master back exactly what he gave him. I mean, it doesn't seem that bad what the guy did. And yet, Jesus says the master is furious. Why? I mean, this guy really didn't do anything. And I think that's the point. He didn't do anything. Remember what I said earlier. In a business, you can't live off the money you made yesterday forever because the longer you do that, the unhealthier the business becomes. And the same is true for the kingdom of God, for the church. When we do nothing with what God has given us, the mission of Jesus comes to a standstill. Remember, it's not about how much you have, but it's about what you do with what you have. And that's why the master in our parable equates laziness with wickedness. Not doing anything when God has called you to do something is a sin. If you don't believe me, listen to what the Bible says, James 4 verse 17. Remember, it is a sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it you know sometimes I hear church members make excuses for why a church isn't doing what it's supposed to be doing and they will wrap it up and make it sound good with spiritual sounding language and they'll say well you know really it's not us that does anything it's God that does everything it's God that does all the work so really we can't do anything we just show up and God does the work and that sounds great nice spiritual almost but here's the thing I agree that God is the one who empowers us and enables us and equips us to do work, but God still expects something from us. God wants us to be the instruments He uses, but He's not going to force us to do His work We have to be willing. We have to make ourselves available. We have to choose to open ourselves up to Him. And it's only when we choose to open ourselves up to His work that He then works inside us. So yes, it is God that gives us the resources and the abilities and the talents and He enables us to do His work, but we still have to choose to let Him work within us. We are responsible for making sure that the talents, that the resources that he gives us aren't buried in the ground. And as your lead minister, that truth scares me just a little bit because I know the tendency of some churches. I know how churches are tempted sometimes because even though we are a generous church, I believe First Church is a very generous church, the temptation that a lot of churches fall trap to is playing it safe. Because it's easier to play, safe, play it safe. It's easier just to sit on what God has given us and not do anything with it, just to kind of hold our own. But here's the thing. Jesus hasn't called us to play it safe, but to live by faith. And there is a huge difference. And living by faith is sometimes risky, and it requires a whole lot of work, but it's worth it because we know playing it safe just keeps the world the same. If you want to keep everything the same, then just play it safe. But if you want to make an impact on the world, live by faith. And people at times, even in the church, I will hear them just complain and complain and complain about the culture we live in and the days that we live in. And I agree with you. Our morals are not what they should be. Our ethics are not what they should be. I agree with you 100%. But are we just going to sit around and complain about it? Or are we going to live by faith and let God work through us and do something about it? God has expectations for us. And I think this master says what he says to this servant because he knows the servant didn't even try. And at the end of the parable, the master says, verse 30, throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That phrase, gnashing of teeth, was a sign of ultimate regret. As if this guy for the rest of his existence will regret not seizing the opportunity that the master gave him. Now obviously this servant failed the test of his master. But what I want to ask is what about you? Are we making the same mistake today? I hope not. And here's the key to make sure that we don't make the same mistake as that servant, that last servant in our parable. Since everything is ultimately the master's, everything we have, the car you drive, the money in your bank account, the house you live in, everything you have is ultimately the master's. It belongs to him, and he's just entrusted it to us for a while. The key to making sure that we don't make the same mistake that this last servant made is we need to make sure we're using what he's given us in the way that he would use it if he were physically here with us. And remember what I said about our master, Jesus, earlier. Jesus isn't greedy, Jesus is generous. He left the world in better shape than he found it by being generous and giving himself. And are we doing the same? Let me ask, are we generous with what God has given us? Are we generous with others as God has been generous to us? And for the past several weeks in the series, Fool's Gold, we've been talking about how so many people chase after counterfeit treasure, which we're calling Fool's Gold, and they think that all this other stuff will bring them happiness and satisfaction and just leaves them feeling empty in the end. And that's what the Bible says, if you want real treasure, you've got to do life God's way. And doing life God's way, finding true satisfaction and meaning, it's being generous and giving as He is generous and as He has given to us. And that's why every week in this series we've talked about the biblical principle from the Old Testament of the tithe. About setting aside the first 10% of your income and giving it to God and His work. And that's the starting point that God gives us. We build upon that, but that's the starting point. Do at least that. And the Bible says if you're not tithing, then you're robbing God because you're keeping it for yourself. Malachi 3 verse 8, will a man rob God? Yet you rob me, God says, but you ask, how do we rob you, God? And God says, in tithes and offerings. See, how do you rob God? A refusal to give, a refusal to be generous is the same thing as stealing. Why? Because it all belongs to Him. It would be like this. A few years ago at the last church I served... I had a guy stop by my office, and he gave me a couple of Visa gift cards that could be used anywhere. And he said, Chad, during the holidays, if you come across a family that's hurting or having financial problems, and they don't have money to buy their kids gifts or to have food for Christmas or whatever, pay their bills, you give them one of these gift cards. And I was like, well, sure, yeah, great, that's a wonderful gesture, absolutely, I'll do that. And I thanked him for dropping off these gift cards. Now, let me ask you, what if after that man left my office, I looked at those Visa gift cards and I thought, You know, I can really use a new fishing pole. I mean, I think that's a need. I I could use a new fishing pole. I think I'll go get me one. Or I thought, you know, Christmas is going to be expensive for my family too. Those gifts that my kids want, boy, they are expensive. I'll just use one of these cards for my family, my kids' gifts. Now, I didn't do that. Don't worry, okay? But if I had done that, let me ask, would you have considered that stealing? I would have. You know why? Those weren't mine. They were entrusted to me from someone else for a specific purpose. And if I had used those for myself, I'd have been stealing. It's the whole point. Guys, everything we have is God's. And God has given us everything we have for a purpose, to be used, to advance His kingdom. And so if He were physically beside you, would He say, oh yeah, you're using everything I've given you the way that I would use it? Or are we robbing God in some way. See, we tend to want to store up things for ourselves thinking that we're, we're keeping it for ourselves, but all we're doing is throwing away what God has given us, wasting it. My daughter Addie, she's two. I know I've talked a lot about my kids and family today, but that's okay. I love them, so I like to talk about them. Um, but my daughter Addie, she has discovered a trash can. And you might think that that is a good thing because you want to throw stuff away, right? But there's a problem with that. She doesn't quite understand the concept of trash. And so there are times in our house, Alice and I will say, hey, where is this or that? And we can't find something that we need. And then we say, go look at the trash can. And so when we've opened up our kitchen trash can, here are some of the things that we have found before. I have found my keys on more than one occasion in the trash can because Addie has thrown them in the trash. Something else that we found, we found this one time. Allison's purse, I'm not kidding, we found it in the trash can, Addie threw it in there. Some of the other stuff we found, remote control to the TV, we looked forever, underneath every cushion, pillow we had and we could not find the remote control. Go look at the trash can. Yep, there it is, just where we thought it would be. And then I found my cell phone on one occasion in the trash. And what was great, the day I found it, I found it in a bunch of coffee grounds. So that was a lot of fun to clean up. Addie had thrown it in the trash. And then we had found other things like toys, like this bouncy ball here. We found those things in the trash as well. And Alice and I, we looked at each other for a while and just thought, why is she throwing this stuff in the trash? It doesn't make any sense. And we got it. We, we got why. Addie doesn't understand the concept of trash. She thought this was a place to store stuff, to keep for herself. Because here's the thing, she likes playing with my keys. She likes to jingle them and play with them. And so we take them away from her when she's playing with them. So if she gets her hands on them, she... Puts them in the trash thinking she's storing them, hiding them from us. She's storing them for herself, hiding them from us. She likes the remote control because she wants to watch her shows and she doesn't want us to change it. So when one of her shows is on or a movie she's watching, she takes her remote, she puts it in the trash. She's keeping it for herself so no one else can change it. The reason why she took my cell phone is because she likes to play games on there. We don't always let her play games on our phone, so she put it in the trash to store it for herself. Same thing with Allison's purse. She likes to play dress-up with Mommy's clothes so put it in the trash and so she has it whenever she wants it she thinks and then toys that's obvious we don't always let her keep all of her toys out so she'll hide them in the trash thinking I'm keeping it for myself but what is she doing in reality she's throwing it all away and it's a good thing that we've caught all this stuff before we took out the trash and there may be things we haven't caught I don't know But what she does, what she's doing, is throwing it away, not keeping it, preserving it. And honestly, we do the same thing. We try to hold all this stuff for ourselves, and we think, "Hey, I'm going to keep this for myself." And all we're doing, but not using it for the purpose that God intends us to use it for, is we're throwing it away. We're wasting it. See, all this stuff in this trash can has a purpose. And the purpose of a remote control is not to be in the trash, it's to be used. The purpose of a cell phone or key is not to be in the trash, it's meant to be used for a reason. And the stuff that you have, your car, the wealth you have, the money you have, your income, your house, your time, whatever it is, it's not really yours, it's God's. And He's given it to you for a purpose. And by just keeping it for yourself, what you're doing is just throwing it away. And wasting it. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6 says, Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Generosity moves the mission of Jesus forward. First, church, let's be a church that uses what God gives us in a generous way, and in so doing, we will leave northeast Oklahoma and the rest of the world better than we found it. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for today and this time we've had to open up your word, study it, and we just pray that we can take from your word the message you want us to hear. Father, may we be generous in this life as you have been generous to us. For nothing we have is ours. It belongs to you, and you've given it to us for a purpose. Thank you for being so generous with us when it comes to your love your grace, your forgiveness. We don't deserve to be your children, but Father, we thank you for that honor and that privilege. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen.